Welcome to the Opera Cheat Sheet. I'm Sinjin Flynn. And I'm Eric Skelly. And this time we're talking about Engelbert Humperdinck's Hansel and Gretel, Hansel and Gretel, which debuted in Weimar on the 23rd of December in 1893 in a performance conducted by none other than Richard Strauss. Whoa! <laughs> Humperdinck called this a fairy tale opera, a Merchen opera, and he was real fond of those, wasn't he? Very much so. In fact, if I'm not mistaken, he wrote this for his kids. I mean, it was originally just performed in his house for his kids uh, and then, you know, grew beyond that to become what it is. He was, if I'm not mistaken, he was in the orchestra uh, at Bayreuth for the premiere of Wagner's Parsifal, and he was very much a disciple, if you will, of Richard Wagner, and you can really hear it in the score. It's very, very Wagner. Libretto for Hansel and Gretel was written by Humperdinck's sister, Adelheid. So it's a real sort of family affair. Exactly. This opera has always had a long association with Christmas. Yeah, yeah, because and opera doesn't really have a nutcracker. Right. And lots of opera, opera companies have tried to make Hansel and Gretel the operatic version of the nutcracker. To varying degrees of success, nowhere near the success of, of the, you know, the Nutcracker juggernaut in this country, that is, in the United States. I don't know that that's true elsewhere, that they do the Nutcracker the way we do it here every Christmas. I think partly with Hansel and Gretel, it's because the opera revolves, oh, the story is based on the, the Grimm Brothers fairy tale mm -hmm. of Hansel and Gretel, because it revolves around the children. And there is always, you know, the holidays, uh, Christmas being a time, you know, particularly for, for children. Right. But also, you know, it debuted on the 23rd of December in ah. 1893. So, you know, it, it even debuted around the Christmas holiday. Yeah. A tenuous connection, but a connection nonetheless. <laughs> and also we should point out that Engelbert Humperdinck is the... 19th century German composer, not the, not the mutton chop Vegas last singer. <laughs> I knew you were going to bring that up. <laughs> yes. Just to be clear. <laughs> this Engelbert Humperdinck was the original. <laughs> so as we said, this is based on the Grimm Brothers fairy tale, the story of Hansel and Gretel. And as the opera opens, the two children are at home in their hut on the edge of the woods, and they're supposed to be working. Right. Gretel is supposed to be sewing and Hansel making brooms. And mother and father are out, uh, but they know mother's coming home soon, and she will expect to find them working. Right. But they don't want to work. Uh, not at all. They're kids. They're kids. They want to play. So they keep getting distracted uh, first by how hungry they are, uh, which they say several times, uh, as they're quite poor. But and, and that's one of the interesting things about the opera is that there is this whole emphasis on food or lack thereof. Yes, exactly. So they're, uh, they're trying to distract one another from their hunger 
by you know, a little, you know, little, little banter, a little play, a little teasing going on here and there. Uh, and it's, uh, it kind of gets out of control, as it will with kids. They begin to antagonize each other. And when Hansel complains of being hungry, Gretel comes up with something that we will hear several times throughout the opera. And that is, when the need is greatest, God the Lord puts out his hand, which is a great Christmas sentiment. It is very much so. (laughs) (laughs) So Gretel uh, tries to cheer Hansel up by telling him that she knows a secret. There is a jug of milk that their mother has procured, and it's right there in the hut with them. And mother is going to come home and make rice pudding. Yes. Hansel is so excited that he goes over to the the jug and he dips his finger in the cream to get a little bit, a taste, a foretaste of, uh, of that rice pudding. Right. Of course, Gretel tells him off for that. And Hansel says, I, I don't want to go back to work. I want to dance. Yes. So they do. <laughs> <laughs> but we see them here as, as playful kids. Typical kids. Right. Typical kids. So they're in the midst of dancing around the hut with one another. Then who should enter but their mother? Uh-oh. Yeah. And they're Naughty in trouble. children. They're Naughty children. in trouble. She's furious that they're goofing off, mm-hmm. that they aren't at work. Because those brooms, for example, that Hansel is making is for sales. Yeah, for sale. So this is part of the family livelihood. And she's furious, mother is furious because they're not being serious. And she threatens to beat them, beat them with a stick. And as she's chasing them actually with the stick, trying to catch up with them, she accidentally hits the jug of milk and knocks it over and completely spills all of it. (gasps) And there goes the pudding, there goes the only morsel of food that they had in the house. So I guess they are going to have to cry over the spilt milk. (laughs) (laughs) Moving on. (laughs) But in her anger, she then sends them out into the forest to find some food. Yes. To collect berries. And then, once they're gone, she's, she she's full of remorse. She is. She's remorseful, and she's she's just completely, the weight of the world is on, the, on this woman's shoulders, along with her husband. I mean, they have no food. They have no money. They have a family of four, and they have to feed them, and they have no means by which to do that. It's, it's a very poignant scene. Then in the distance, you hear her husband, Peter, returning to the shack. He's been out trying to to sell his wares, to raise some money to buy food for the family. And he sounds happy. He sounds very happy. He does. He's three sheets to the wind. Pretty much. (laughs) And she's mad at him because he's drunk. Yeah. And presumably... That took money, which he could have used to buy food. But he's had a great day. He's had a bumper Really great day. He's sold a lot of brooms. Yes. And so he comes in with this basket full of food. A feast, in fact. 
So as they're the, the two of them are suddenly you know they're they're able to rejoice. I mean the the, the mother's worries and cares are at least for the moment lifted from her, and they're they're rejoicing in all of this. And the Peter suddenly asks her, "So where are the kids? <laughs> <laughs> where are the little tykes?" And she tells him, well, they were, you know, they were misbehaving and they weren't working and I sent them out into the forest to collect berries. And he goes, what? (laughs) You did what? (laughs) Because there's a wicked witch that lives in the forest. Ein Knusperhexen. A gobbling witch. Because she has this reputation for stealing children and turning them into gingerbread men. Yep. And then eating them. Not a nice lady. (laughs) (laughs) And her modus operandi is she has this gingerbread house. The roof is made of cakes and there's all sorts of confectionery. Candies and... and, and Licorice. Licorice and and, uh, marzipan and all kinds of sweets all over this house, and the kids are lured by it and begin nibbling upon it, and she gets them. She throws them in the oven and turns them into gingerbread men. So then, mother and father rush off into the forest looking for Hansel and Gretel. End of Act Act 1. Act 2. We are with Hansel and Gretel in the forest and they have been searching for these berries and they've got a bowl of berries that they've found and Gretel she's making a a crown out of flowers Mm -hmm. and she puts it on Hansel's head and he says boys don't wear crowns and he puts it on her head so here they are they're playing they are back to the way we saw them at the beginning of act one they're they're being they're being kids exactly exactly Exactly. He tells her she's the queen of the woods. And she says, if I'm the queen of the woods, you should give me a bouquet of flowers. Right. But he doesn't have a bouquet of flowers, so he gives her the bowl of berries. Yes. And they start to eat them. <laughs> and, of course, what happens is they eat them all. And before they know it, it's dark. And there they are in the woods, and they don't know how to get back. They don't know how to get back. And they've got no light to go and look for more berries. Exactly. And they know that they're going to be in trouble. Inevitably, they get scared. They start hearing noises in the forest. And they're not sure what these noises are, what's happening. But they comfort each other. And they are a real sort of brother and sister. Yeah. I mean, they look out for each other. What's interesting as well is that I think... Hansel is actually younger than Gretel. Did you know that? No, I didn't. Mm -hmm. This fairy-like figure appears 
the Sandman. This little old man of the forest. And uh, he comes out of the forest and, and uh, tells the children that he loves them and that he's come to put them to sleep. And he sprinkles grains of sand in their eyes and with this beautiful aria, places them in, in a calm slumber, holding one another in, in, in one another's arms. And then there is this wonderful scene, a real fairy tale scene, the, uh -huh. the, the trauma pantomime, which is straight out of Wagner, isn't oh it? Oh my gosh, is it ever. And this is why my biggest pet peeve, <laughs> I hate it when opera companies do this production with a reduced orchestration, because this is where you want the full orchestra that Humperdinck scored this for. You want the big effect, and boy, do you get it in this scene. It's As you say, it's very Wagnerian. Uh, the children say their evening prayer, and it's, it's one that everybody's heard. It's, it's very famous, the, the, the evening prayer that they sing. actually fall to sleep and their evening prayer they they pray that 14 angels guide them and they sort of count them down in the prayer and when they fall asleep 14 angels literally appear and they encircle them and protect them as all, all through the night and the forest is suddenly filled with this burst of light from these angels. Not to mention the sound from the orchestra. <laughs> it's, it's wonderful because it builds and builds and builds in the way that Wagner, you know, really pioneered and uh, until this, this big crescendo of brass sound just envelops them and it's, it's quite glorious. Act three, we're still in the forest, but it's the next morning. Yes. And the dew fairy arrives to wake up the children. Yes. And she sprinkles dew on them and sings about how wonderful it is to be alive and the beauty of the forest. And uh, after she's sprinkled them with dew, off she goes and the children begin to wake.
then they recount to one another this amazing dream that they had last night about angels surrounding them. Was it a dream, though? Perhaps not. <laughs> then, all of a sudden... They realize that there's something behind them. Uh, yeah. And what is it? It's a gingerbread house. Uh-oh. Oh, boy. <laughs> the roof is slated with cakes. The windows are of licorice. The walls are decorated with cookies. And Gumdrop bushes. And, and of course, they're hungry because they've been in the forest all night with no food. Uh, after, you know, starving practically uh, in their home. <laughs> And so they are automatically attracted to the house and they go over to it and they start to break pieces off and eat it. Yes. As they're doing that, the voice calls out, Nibbling, nibbling, little mouse. Who's nibbling on my little house? And they freeze. <laughs> and one of them asks, What was that? And the other says, ah, The wind. It was just the wind. That's all. And they go back to eating. And then the witch comes out of the house and she catches Hansel with a rope. She lassoes him and he's trying to escape and she explains who she is. And who is she? Who does she say she is? Rosina Daintymouth <laughs> is her name. <laughs> an unusual name. Yeah, rather. <laughs> and she loves to see nothing better than children feeding on sweets. Uh-huh. But of course, she's strange and Hansel and Gretel are suspicious of her. Hansel is able to get out of the, the rope and they start to try and run away. But the witch pulls out her magic wand and casts a spell and freezes them in their tracks. And then... She puts Hansel into a cage and locks him up in the cage. Yes. And she tells Gretel to go into the house and get some raisins and almonds, bring them back so that they can feed them to Hansel and begin to fatten him up. Mm -hmm. Creepy much. <laughs> <laughs> so she has this power now over Hansel and Gretel. And... She's thinking about how she's going to get them into the oven, turn them into gingerbread men, and then eat them. So Hansel is pretending to be asleep. And the witch has Gretel wake him up and tell him to extend his finger so she could see how plump he's gotten. He wisely takes a bone and sticks that out, and she feels it. Oh, no, 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 too thin. So she turns her attentions at that point. She's going to, she's going to, well, she's going to throw Gretel on the oven first, basically, <laughs> <laughs> at that point. The witch then tells Gretel to go and check on the oven, presumably to see if it's ready for the baking. Right. And Gretel, so smart, she says to the witch, but I don't know how to do that. Yeah, can you show me? <laughs> so the witch goes over to the oven. And, you know, this is how you do it, Gretel. You open the, uh, the door. And as she's leaning over, looking into the oven, Hansel springs out of the cage. And he and Gretel 
push the witch into the oven, slam the door. And then there is this sort of explosion and the oven falls to pieces. And at the same time, all these gingerbread cookies that have been standing around all of that time turn into children. But they seem to be asleep. And so Hansel and Gretel go around and uh, they touch each of them in turn and awaken them. And Hansel takes the the witch's uh, magic wand and calls out the magic words and the children are all now free from the spell that the witch had cast upon them right. by turning them into gingerbread men. Right. And then in the distance, we hear the parents arriving. Sounding very mournful and forlorn because they've not found their children and they fear the worst. And then they see Hansel and Gretel and they are overjoyed to have them back. And then the gingerbread children pull the witch out of the ruins of the oven and what's happened to her? She's a giant gingerbread witch. There we go. (laughs) And Father gathers Hansel and Gretel and his wife around. And the moral of the story, when the need is greatest, God the Lord puts out his hand. They have been saved. They have been provided for. And those that do evil will be punished. Yes. And they all live happily ever after. Presumably. (laughs) (laughs) So you can see the appeal of this for children. Yes. And you can certainly hear it in this score, which is so charming and so engaging and has so many melodic highlights. Uh, the Dew Fairy and the Sandman's arias for light lyric soprano. Witch's Ride, which is a real tour de force for, for a mezzo. That's when she flies around the yes, house she does. on her broomstick. Yes, she does. Indeed, she does. And then, of course, the, the dream pantomime, which is, this, which is the, the centerpiece of this entire score. It's just glorious. Humperdinck indebted to, to Wagner. And as you said, Humperdinck wrote this for a big orchestra. It's a big piece. It is. Musically speaking, it's a big piece. It is. Engelbert Humperdinck's Hansel and Gretel. That's this week's Opera Cheat Sheet. I'm Sinjin Flynn. And I'm Eric Skelly. Thank you for listening. (laughs) 